Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. Really appreciate all the positive feedback on the new book, The Impact Makers. It's now available and orderable out on Amazon. It features highlights from some of the best of my conversations on this podcast, along with perspectives from my more than three decades in marketing leadership. And it's all around exceptional leadership built with a servant leader mindset. So check it out and continue to give that feedback uh, as we go forward. Well, today we're gonna focus on this concept of breakthroughs. We think about breaking through either in our personal life but in our professional life. What is a breakthrough? It's a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development, and nowhere in our professional world is that more important than the area of sales. And we're gonna explore sales breakthroughs with someone who is passionate, experienced, and a real visionary around how do we achieve those breakthroughs in sales. Michelle Vizana is the CEO and founding partner at Vantage Point Performance, one of the most innovative sales training and development firms in the marketplace today. Michelle has more than 30 years of sales experience. She's worked for giants, IBM, Xerox, in sales and leadership roles. And she's really coached and developed hundreds, that's right, hundreds of sales managers and leaders since coming into consulting more than 19 years ago. She breaks new grounds in the areas of sales, sales management effectiveness. It's all about helping managers focus on the vital few activities that drive true sales improvement. She works with some of the most successful companies in the world, Fortune 500 companies, and knows exactly what it takes in terms of really changing the behaviors to get those breakthroughs. She's also a very accomplished author. She's the co-author of Cracking the Sales Management Code. She's the author of Crushing Quota. And coming up next spring, a new book, The Sales Agility Code, Deploy Situational Fluency to Win More Sales. So I can't wait to dive in to talk about sales breakthrough with Michelle Bazzano. Michelle, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. I'm so happy to be here with you today. So I, I want to go back in time. You've had more than three decades in this whole sales arena. And curious, what fueled your passion to jump into sales and to really focus on motivating sales leaders? Well, um, getting into sales was my first motivation because I didn't intend to get into sales. I got into it quite by accident. I was working for IBM and I was a computer science major and I was a, had an intern with IBM and they put me into a sales uh, role in one of their product centers and I loved it and I was really good at it and I, you know, who knew? Um, so that was my first foray into sales and I, so instead of becoming a programmer or a computer science person, I decided I like this sales thing. I think I'm going to stick around and do more of it. Um, and that really set the trajectory of my career from then on. I mean, I became a salesperson forever, salesperson, sales manager, you know, all of that. So it was that that beginning of kind of putting me into a job that I didn't anticipate that I loved and thrived in. So that, that's that's what introduced me to sales. What a fascinating story. And I have to ask, so you have this technical 
programming background, are there some things you took from that? So as you reflect back and this amazing success you had on the sales side, but were there some things you took from those original programming roots you think that have, have really translated well over on the other side? Um, well, certainly not the programming itself, but what I took away from that degree, because I was, I was running thousands of lines of code when all my friends were, you know, at the beach on spring break. So no. <laughs> at the point I didn't love it that much. Um, but I'll tell you, I learned discipline. I learned that I could, I could address a monumental task sort of one step at a time and that I could get through it and I could succeed at it. And Dan, when I first got into sales, it was hard. I mean, I was knocking on doors. I was, you know, putting my little brochure packets together in the evening and taking them with me and, you know, knocking on yep. doors all day for Xerox. And that was not a fun job initially. I mean, it was hard work, it required discipline. I was in the office before anybody and I was there after everybody left. And it took me probably three months to make my first sale and everybody else had been making sales. And so once I started making sales, I think I made 12 sales in that third month. And then it was like, <laughs> yeah. it was kind of an avalanche from there. But I learned the value of hard work and the fact that you do have to work smart, but you do have to put effort in. I mean, people that say you can work three hours a day and be extremely successful. That's not my experience. I mean, maybe that's true today with some of the tools that are available, but that's not been my experience. So what I took away from that really hard degree was discipline. Yeah. And the resilience as you were telling that yes. story of hanging in yeah. there until <laughs> things really clicked. But you've worked with so many B2B enterprises and we're in really challenging times, high change times. What do you feel makes sales leadership and being effective in sales leadership so much harder today than maybe even 10 or 15 years ago? Well, Dan, I think it's the same thing that makes sales harder. There's so many distractions. There's so much information available that's overwhelming. Um, you know, salespeople have to know more than they've ever had to know in the past, not only about their own solutions, but they have to know their competitors' solutions, the market conditions, the trends. I mean, they have to really think like a buyer. And so when you take 10 to 12 people on a sales team and you take the job of sales leadership, all of those things that make selling harder make leading harder. There's more distractions. There's more systems. Everyone's tech stack is getting deeper and deeper. Organizations expect you to use all these tools. And what happens is that organizations in their, in their zest to be helpful keep giving managers more and more things to incorporate into their everyday job. And I had a manager actually say to me about five years ago, he said, you know, Michelle, my organization keeps giving me ingredients, ingredient after ingredient and after ingredient. But this whole idea of the sales management code, this is a recipe. I finally got the recipe. So it's this idea of integrating different tools and techniques into the flow of the work the sales manager does, into the flow of the job the salesperson does. And when you add all of the technological advancements, all the myriad of new tools, the new much more complicated buying environment, and larger teams that are mostly geographically dispersed, all of that adds up to a more chaotic um job than they've ever had before. So it requires more intense prioritization, more intense decision-making than perhaps it did in years gone by. Yeah, absolutely. And when we think about achieving breakthrough, so one dimension that is um, often focused on is how can we increase productivity, however that's measured and, you know, in terms of uh, the performance, but just trying to be more efficient, more productive. Can you share a little bit more about specifically the challenges around that specific dimension? How do we get teams or individuals? How do we elevate that productivity level? What makes it so hard? 
Well, what makes it so hard is because salespeople are notoriously independent, right? They want to do their own thing. They want to be masters of their own destiny. Uh, and, and in today's sales force, that's just not as acceptable as it once was. There are systems in place to track activity, to track, um, you know, outcomes of interactions. There's recordings of transaction or interactions. There's so much more accountability today than there ever has been in the past. And sometimes that accountability works well, and sometimes it doesn't. Where we run into trouble, Dan, is when organizations put in tons of accountability measures without adding like coaching and assistance in the process. And that's the difference between measuring and managing performance, right? We can measure all kinds of things and it's useful to measure things, but only if you're going to manage those things. If you're not going to look to improve something, then don't measure it, right? It's a waste of time. So I think where we really get stuck is we find all these different things to measure, but we don't understand how to manage those things. So let me say, let's say that I'm tracking uh, sales activity. I'm, I'm tracking sales calls where a seller brings uh, an analyst or a support person with them. And maybe I can do some AI and see that sellers who have more of these meetings actually outperform sellers who don't. Well, then I need to dig into that and find out what's happening in those meetings where they're bringing the specialist. Is it a certain point in the sales cycle? Are there particular capabilities that that analyst or specialist is bringing. So we need, to, we need to dig more into why certain things are creating the outcomes they are before we just make assumptions that more is always better, because that's not true. Yeah, I, it's back to really getting into the details, right? And, and that right. discipline you were talking about of really uh, taking your time to really truly understand and understand how these different events aren't just random events, but they are logically connected, right? Over a continuum of time, it, it becomes almost a little bit more like a, a science that you're talking about here when it you're is, applying that, it is. isn't it? Sales management is more of a science than selling. And selling has a lot more science than people give it credit for. But especially sales management, it just requires a level of rigor and discipline and understanding. I mean, we've been doing research on sales managers for over 14 years, Dan. And as researchers, we have to be willing to be wrong. And we're wrong a lot. I mean, I can tell you, I mean, I, I've been wrong as much as I've been right. Um, and what's interesting is when you're wrong, you learn something really, really new. Because, for example, I expected when I started um, researching sales managers that the highest performing sales managers would coach for more hours and coach more frequently than lower performing managers. Neither one of those were true. And there's a lot of pundits out there saying the sales managers that are the most successful, they coach more. Well, that's not true. I mean, we researched global organizations wow. for years. And in every case, the exact numbers were different, but in every case, the patterns held. <clears throat> the highest performing managers, <clears throat> excuse me, they coached less frequently, but for longer durations. And, you know, when you peel the onion back on that, those longer duration conversations, they covered fewer topics in more depth. They were richer and drove better seller capability. So little insights like that, that seem counterintuitive at first are actually quite illuminating when you dig into them. I think what you're saying, Michelle, is that in a way, less is more in terms of fewer but more meaningful interactions as a leader to get that's, to get those yes. results. Interesting. That's absolutely true. And that that trend held true in every organization we studied. Wow. Well, you you've written a couple of these books, okay, and you mentioned this recipe conversation a little bit earlier and this idea of there's a code uh, and you're talking about codes uh, in terms of um, getting more sales effectiveness. Can you explain a little bit more about this concept of code and how do we, how do we actually apply that, you know, as a sales leader into uh, 
really elevating performance. So we think about what a code is, Dan, a code is really a system of rules or principles. It's a code of conduct. It's how you operate, right? And so we every set of intellectual property that we bring to bear in, in terms of a training program has a decision-making framework that we call a code. And here's why. Because what we've realized over the years with all the research we've done is the best sellers and the best sales managers are the best decision makers. And they have very specific criteria that they've developed that they use to make those decisions. And the higher the quality of the decisions they make, the higher the quality of the execution that they perform, and then the better the results that they achieve. So where a lot of training companies really focus on, let's teach people how, how to coach. Well, we say, wait a minute, there's a whole lot of decisions that have to make to take place before you coach anyone. What should you be coaching and why? Which activities are most closely aligned to the KPIs and objectives you set that will drive the results you want? What are the standards that determine what good looks like when sellers you know, actually execute those activities? And then how do you actually coach each of those high impact activities most effectively? You know, what's, what is the, an agenda that's going to provide the best interpersonal dialogue that creates the best outcomes? How frequently should you be having that conversation? And for what duration? Those are, those are decisions that the most successful sales managers make because they know that if I don't prioritize effectively, everything falls apart. In fact, what we know is that the highest performing managers, they, they engage in what we call the minimum effective dose. And so, for example, if coaching early stage opportunities once a month with each person is sufficient, don't do it every two weeks. And high performers are much more likely to keep the coaching conversation they've already scheduled. The low and average performers, they overdo it. They overschedule themselves and they're constantly canceling and rescheduling coaching conversations. So the highest performers are rigorous and maniacal about prioritization. And they use that prioritization in terms of a code, right? A decision-making framework mm -hmm. to allow them to select and then attend to those things that matter most and then ignore those things that matter less. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that if you have this framework for uh, or criteria on the prioritization that uh, it just becomes very repeatable. And soon it's probably like muscle memory that um, it, you don't even have to think about it as That's much. Right. It just becomes That's part right. of your natural, natural approach. That's fascinating. Well, that, it's a good point that you bring up, Dan, because a lot of managers get super overwhelmed, right? They got this big team, they got all these tools, they got everybody, you know, wanting a piece of them in their team. And if they don't have a way to prioritize and, and narrow down the scope of what they do each day, they get almost paralyzed. And, you know, and now listen, think about the downside of that. Most sales managers were highly successful sellers, right? Probably, you know, some of the top reps. So when you take a top rep and you make them a sales manager, and then you don't equip that sales manager to be effective, it's kind of a double hit. You've lost your top rep, and now you've got a, you know, a marginal sales manager who has good intentions, but isn't really executing well, impacting the whole team. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked a little bit about this code of conduct and a process that's repeatable and consistent and can be, be measured in terms of the results. But of course, uh, we're human beings, right? And, and sales management, you're leading people. And so it's all about behaviors as well, right? And, and really being able to influence and evolve the behaviors. So are there some unique challenges when we think about the behavioral aspect, not just the, the process, uh, the timing of how we have these uh, conversations, but then really ultimately that, that behavior change? Well, think about this, Dan. Um, so I like to work out. 
I haven't worked out consistently my whole life, but in the last six months, I got back into it. And I have a lot of friends who require personal trainers. And, you know, my perspective on that is it's probably a lot more effective if you can find some motivation within yourself. And there's this big misconception that you can actually motivate someone else, but you really can't. You can't motivate someone else. You can help them achieve motivation on their own. You can assist that process, but you can't cause someone else to be motivated, right? There's kind of the carrot and the stick. Like I've got all the sticks in the world in place. They may or may not motivate someone, right? And so behavior change happens as a result of wanting to change. As, a, as an individual, I have to see a reason. I have to see a benefit to yeah. me or a downside of not changing. And so there's a lot of interpersonal dialogue and psychology behind the nature of behavior change. And when you think about the way a seller interacts with a customer, right? The seller is looking to get the customer to behave in a certain way, to make a decision, right? That's behavior change. And sellers know that if you don't make it the buyer's idea, you're probably not going to succeed. The same is true between managers and sellers. If I want a seller to do something differently, I have to be able to help motivate that seller by helping make it their idea, by having conversations that are meaningful and relevant, um, that get that seller to maybe see things differently, have a deeper understanding, and ultimately be motivated to adjust that behavior. So that's the first step, is sort of mm -hmm. helping a person gain motivation on their own. The second step is consistency. So if I'm looking to have a workout routine, right, and I want to get in shape, well, I know that I've got to work out with weights at least three times a week. If I don't do that, I'm not going to get the result that I want. It's the same thing with sellers. If I'm asking sellers to do deeper homework and deeper research on LinkedIn about a particular prospect, they need guidelines on what does that look like? What kind of research do I want you to do and why? What do I want you to do with that information? How's that going to help you prepare you know, a, a message or a prospecting message for this particular account or contact? And I have to revisit that on a fairly regular basis. And that's why we call this a management rhythm. So for example, one of the first decisions that managers have to make is for any given sales role, whether it be an account manager or relationship, whatever it might be, what are the activities that that person has to do that are gonna be the most high impact, meaning the most highly likely to lead to the outcomes that I want? And those are the things that I should coach, right? So as a manager, I need to drive consistency and effective coaching around those few things that have an outsized impact on the performance of my people. And those things are not hard to figure out. All you have to do is start with the results you want to achieve, whether that's increased revenue, whether that's market share gain, whether that's customer sat measures, which sales objectives are most likely to get me there? Do I have to get new logos? Do I have to do expansion with existing accounts? You know, do I have to further penetrate accounts into other departments? What's the best path to doing that? And then there's activities, of course, associated with those KPIs, right? So if I'm looking to bring in new logos, I probably have to determine, well, what are my best target accounts? And how do I prioritize those accounts so that I can make sure that I'm attending to the ones that have the most potential more readily than those with less potential? And then as a manager, I need to attend to that, help coach to that, and then follow up on that and make sure that's happening and that it's happening well. So it's, it's, this, it's this alignment of activity to outcomes and attention to that alignment, I think, that drives behavior change in the long term. Now, you mentioned KPIs just a few minutes ago, and sales has been described as the ultimate metrics playground because there, there is this high level of measurement, you know, ultimately. Sales, revenue, 
uh, number of sales calls, et cetera, a lot of just measurables in that. But also you can be overwhelmed by just diving and swimming in too much data. What's your perspective on some best practices to best leverage the available data and metrics around this? Let me give you one example of how it doesn't work, and I'll talk about how it does work. One organization that we work with, which was the largest optical manufacturer of lenses in the world, uh, when we started working with them, this was in the early days of cracking the sales management code when we had done the metrics research, but we were looking for ways to operationalize it. And we went into this organization and worked with their sales leadership team. And we started exploring the data they were using you know, in their day-to-day job. They had 28 management reports these managers were getting every month. 28. And when I when I dove under the hood with the sales managers, I said, how many of these are you actually using? Take a guess. Oh, man, it's probably, you know, five or less. Two. Wow. <laughs> they, were, they were using two of the 28 reports. Now, there was The sales operations manager was in this meeting, and he looked like I had basically told him he had cancer. Oh, I mean, he wow. had this stricken look on his face, and he said, do you have any idea the amount of time that me and my team spend doing the analysis and putting these reports together. And I said, you know, look, I'm sorry, but wouldn't you rather know? Wouldn't you rather know what your managers are finding useful? And so one of the biggest guidelines that we give is in that prioritization process, when you start linking the results to the KPIs or objectives and the activities that you want your salespeople executing consistently well, some of those metrics are more important than others, right? So if you're looking to improve close rates, You want better early stage qualification, right? You want um, deals to meet certain standards or they shouldn't even be in the pipeline. So there are certain, depending upon what your goals are, there are certain metrics that are more important than others. And by doing this alignment work, it helps managers identify of all the leading indicators I can pay attention to, which ones matter most to what I'm trying to accomplish with my team. And what kind of movement am I looking for? What kind of movement really indicates true progress and what doesn't? And as managers pay attention to some of those leading indicators, they realize they might have to make other decisions in other areas because new information comes to light. But just like everything else, Dan, the mantra here is prioritization. Well, speaking of prioritization, uh, you know, my experience has been working in several uh, organizations, a lot of technology organizations with just a lot of projects, uh, a lot of development that's going on. It's so hard in terms of what to take off the list. We, we just seem so much more prone to want to add to our list, right? New ideas, excitement, new opportunities, that's easy. But deciding what to say no to is really, really hard. And I know prioritization is at the core of what you've been successful with in, in working with your clients. Are there some other thoughts on how to get there, how to get through that tough prioritization hurdle uh, to really get the results you want? So it just requires, it requires effort and attention, Dan. I mean, I can tell you when we deploy the sales management code or pipeline coaching with a sales management leadership team, their biggest challenge initially is, oh my God, how do I narrow that down to two or three high impact activities? Oh my God, that's almost impossible. But what they don't realize is we're not asking them to ask their sellers to only do three activities. What we're saying is of all of the activities your sellers have to do, there might be 50 of them. Of those 50 activities that your sellers do regularly, which two to three have an outsized impact on their progress and ultimate performance? And if you can really put rigor around those two to three, 
not only from a standards and expectation perspective with your sellers, but then allocate your coaching effort to those things that matter most. That's the kind of prioritization that matters. Initially, they get paralyzed. They said, oh my God, I can't narrow it down. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can't narrow it down to two or three. Well, if you can't, you're going to be running around like a chicken with his head cut off and your job's going to be that much harder. So do yourself a favor and narrow down that scope because you can't coach everything. You can't really track everything meaningfully and act on it. So narrow down that scope of what's critically important and focus like hell on those things. You know what I mean? So that's what we see making the biggest difference in performance is, is focused effort and a, and a way to make decisions on where that effort is best placed. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. It's hard, but the alternative is that much worse. So you just laid it out there pretty clearly. So you've had this amazing career, Michelle. And as you reflect back on it, what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received? Wow. That's a good question. Um, if it's a question about leadership, I have one answer. Um, if it's a question about sales, I have a different answer. But let's just go with leadership since most of our discussion today has been on leadership. Um, so Joe Terry um, is a phenomenal CEO in, our, in the sales enablement space, and now he's moved into the culture space. He was our CEO for a while at Vantage Point. And when he was the CEO, I learned a lot from him. He was not only an incredible leader, but he had a perspective that I had not been aware of prior to that. And he said, you know, Michelle, you have to look at the health of the organism, the entire company. You have to look at the impact each individual has on the entire organism. And if you have one person, even if they're a high performer, who's impacting the health of the organism, it has to be addressed and rectified. Uh, because you can't have people that are heading in a different direction than you want the organism to, to head in. And it just changed my whole paradigm on leadership. And so now I look at things from a much more holistic, synergistic perspective versus an individual perspective which is a trap when you're in sales, right? You can look at things very individualistically. Um, but he taught me the power of looking at the system, the unit versus the individual within the unit and how those, how those work together most effectively and least effectively. Yeah. And all of those connection points and in terms of that stepping back and looking at things more broadly, really interesting. And we're in interesting times. We're in challenging times right now, but when you look ahead to the future, Michelle, what makes you optimistic? Well, certainly isn't the economy. <laughs> but there are some things that are actually quite encouraging. Um, so I pay very close attention to Forrester and Gartner and the research that they do. <clears throat> and what I've noticed, um, and I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but it's, it's, it's the truth. What we found is that the insights that we've gleaned from our research always end up showing up in Gartner's research 12 to 24 months later. And so what, what's, what makes me optimistic is not only is our research on the right track, but industry leading industry analysts and researchers are identifying the same trends. And those trends are all about understanding the human side of buying, understanding mm -hmm. buyer psychology, understanding the emotional journey that buyers go through and the need for adaptability. And so what's encouraging to me is we've uncovered many of those same things in our own research, and they're being validated by some of the most respected analysts in the industry. I mean, it's, and it's changing the face of the way that we enable salespeople and sales managers for the, for the better. Yeah. As you were talking about that and you brought up kind of the emotional aspect, the emotional journey and, you know, on the marketing side, you know, when partnering and collaborating closely with sales, 
you know, what I've seen even over the last 10 years is a stronger focus around the importance of establishing an emotional connection, right? Yes. Is that yes. what, what motivates, what motivates and, and generates interest. And it's, it starts at an emotional level more than just a, uh, more of an esoteric um, facts and informational level. Yes. There's a lot of research around that, Dan. Um, you've probably heard of Daniel Kahneman. He He's actually a Nobel Prize winner. He studies behavioral economics. And, you know, what he found is that people are twice as likely to act to avoid pain than they are to achieve gain. And that's kind of an important finding because we are emotional creatures. And there's been a lot of research that shows it's kind of like an elephant in the rider. The elephant is your emotions. And the little person on top of the elephant yeah. is a rider, your logical, rational self. And we all make emotional decisions. And then we find rational reasons to justify those. So that's why storytelling and messaging are yes. so powerful because people have to be able to emotionally connect and link to what it is that you're saying. And when they can't, you know, it just seems kind of vacuous and conceptual, right? So that emotional piece, it's always been important, but I think there's an increased realization and acknowledgement of the importance that emotions play in our everyday business lives, particularly in our decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So as we start winding down our conversation, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to generate more sustainable sales growth? Well, Dan, it's kind of the similar message all along, but the message on sustainable growth is adaptability. It's, it's up to a leader to continue to scan the environment, to scan the marketplace, to determine what's changing and what does that mean for how we do business and how we sell, right? Things have changed so rapidly in the last few years beyond any of our, our comprehension. Like things have happened that we couldn't have imagined in a million years. And then we've had to adapt to them. And so most people don't really like to change and they don't scan the environment for changes. They prefer not to attend to it. And those leaders that are going to be the most successful moving in, into the future are those ones that are continually scanning the environment, looking for changes so that are going to impact the way their salespeople sell um, and the way their, sale, their customers buy. So you have to, you can't put your head in the sand. You have to be out there scanning and mm -hmm. paying attention to the, to, to the changes and getting ahead of them, right? Not waiting until they slam you on the head. Proactive versus reactive. Yes attending to the right things. You can't attend to everything, but there are certain things that impact certain um, markets more than others. Know what those are. Pay attention to those, right? And as changes happen, determine what those impacts are going to be to your team and your selling efforts, and then adjust accordingly. Well, Michelle, thanks again for joining today and just sharing just so many insights into how we can, I guess, crack this code or apply this code towards achieving breakthrough performance in sales. Thanks, Dan. It's been a pleasure being with you today. And a reminder to all of you to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.